So have you ever gotten a parking ticket? I'm a little ashamed to say that I'm, I'm frightful that I think the ticket people at Clemson actually knew my name when I was in college. So yeah, I've, I've had a few parking tickets here and there, but I do want to very graciously acknowledge that it has been at least 25 years since I've had a parking ticket, except for one, and, and it, was, it was an honest mistake. Wasn't even my honest mistake. I was downtown Columbia, and I got a parking ticket, and I was like, whoa, hang on, because I was using the little passport app that a lot of major cities use. And what happened was I went down to the office. I said, hey, look, this right here says I paid for parking. Well, it ended up that whoever was putting my license plate number in the little handheld machine, they did the wrong license plate. So I didn't have to pay a ticket. This is fantastic. This is great. That was a moment I love technology. Look, I did pay. I paid. I paid. It's nice to have a moment where you, where you don't have to pay. And wouldn't it be great if you never had to pay for a parking ticket? Man, wouldn't that be wonderful? You never, ever had to pay for a parking ticket. Or maybe, wouldn't it be great if you didn't just have to give them the money? Well, the city of Las Vegas has provided just such an opportunity. This summer, in order to pay your parking ticket during the month of July, you could bring School supplies. You could donate school supplies, and that's how you would pay for your parking ticket. And now, for the next few weeks, if you want to pay for your parking ticket, you can bring canned non-perishable food donations. Those things will be given to the Helping Hands of Vegas Valley. Uh, That is a nonprofit group that helps senior adults who are poor or disabled. So, good job, Vegas. We can't always say good job, Vegas, but you know, good job, Vegas. They, They did all right. Did all right. It seems that the city of New York might have a different vibe when it comes to parking. The story is told of a man who went to the bank and asked for a $5,000 loan. The loan officer said, well, I'm going to have to have some collateral to you know, give you that loan. And the man said, okay, that's no problem. And he handed him the keys to his Ferrari, which was parked out front of the bank. Well, the Ferrari was worth $250,000. So, of course, that was enough collateral for a $5,000 loan. So the man took the money. The loan officer took the keys took the Ferrari, drove it down underneath the bank in the underground parking lot of the bank and kept it there safe and secure. Well, a couple weeks goes by and the man had gone to Europe with his $5,000, came back from his trip, came to the bank, paid his whole loan back plus the $26.92 that he owed in interest. Loan officer said, look, I got to ask you, while you were out, I I did a little research on you. You're a multimillionaire. Why in the world would you come get a $5,000 loan when you have the money already? And this is what the man said. Where else in New York can I park my Ferrari for $2 a day and expect it to be there when I get back? (laughs) That's why he's a multimillionaire. Figured it out. You ever tried to find a parking space at the hospital? Yeah, I knew that would get a little rumble. That's, That's a new impossible thing. There's a story about a man who was driving around in the parking garage at a hospital, and he pulled into this one little area, and a security guard came over and said, hey, sorry, sir, you can't park here. It's for badge holders only. The man looked up at him and said, you know what? I I got a badge holder. (laughs) Badge holder, bad shoulder. That's all right. It'll come to you at lunch. It's fine. Yeah, Yeah, somebody just got it. I loved it. (laughs) Regardless of what your parking problem may be, wouldn't it be nice to have some alternative options? I mean, wouldn't it be great to be able to to go give some food donations instead of giving money? 
Wouldn't it be great to pay $2 a day in parking instead of $20 a day in parking? Wouldn't it be great if a bad shoulder actually got you a parking space? Some alternatives would be nice. But wouldn't it be even better if you could find some alternative for worry, for stress, for anxiety? Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to pay the emotional, physical, spiritual, mental price that comes with worry and stress and anxiety, but we had some other alternative way to deal with it? Well, there is just such a thing. And the Apostle Paul, many years ago, wrote about it to some friends of his, and he gives us the same advice today. Listen to Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. We're going to look at the the last part of that first. Let your requests be made known to God. Why should you do that? Why, why should you pray to God? Why should you pray to God about your worry and your anxiety and your stress? Why, why should you let those requests be made known to God? Well, Simon Peter gives us a pretty defining reason. He says this, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Have you ever felt like the weight of the world was on your shoulder? Ever felt like that that everything was kind of falling apart? You might be thinking that today. You might be feeling that today. Peter says, throw all of that to Jesus. Throw all of your worries, throw all of your pain, throw all of your distress, your stress, your depression, your anxiety, your fear. Throw those things to Jesus. Someone said this, Jesus is willing to be fully responsible for the things we are anxious about. Just just chew on that for a second. Jesus is willing to be fully responsible for the things that we are anxious about. Peter says, throw your worries, cast your worries and your anxieties to Jesus. Well, how do you do that? I was watching something a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, a little teaching time by Jen Wilkin, and she was talking about how she completely disagrees with the stereotype that women express their emotions more than men. And this is how she proves her point. She said this, I've been watching professional football my entire adult life. Do you know what I've never done? I have never thrown the remote at the TV. <laughs> Touche. She's got us. But I'm sure somewhere in the world, there's at least one woman that threw a remote at the TV. So let's just, you know, keep it gender neutral here, okay? If a person throws a remote at a TV, what are they doing? Well, they are expressing their anger. They're they're throwing their anger at that TV. But does it make any sense to do that? I mean, the TV didn't call that play, you know? The TV didn't miss that block. The TV didn't miss that tackle. The TV didn't miss that catch. It's not TV's fault. Why would we throw the remote at the TV? And and just to hurt our feelings a little bit, you may not be an athlete that plays sports on TV, but this week, last week, next week, at home, at work, at school, maybe at the hospital, maybe at the doctor, 
maybe in the parking lot at Costco or Sam's, there is something that you have in common with them, and that's this. Sometimes you call the wrong play. Sometimes you, you miss the tackle and you miss the block and you miss the catch. In other words, there is never a moment, a day, a week, a month where a single person, including me, who can hear my voice, does everything perfect. So, at least for those 17 to 21-year-old kids on your favorite college team, cut them some slack. Good night. You know, they're going to drop it every now and then because you are too. Instead of throwing the remote at the TV, let me give you another option. Just change the channel, you know? I mean, just for a minute. Flip it over to Andy Griffith, you know? Just watch Barney for a second. Just cool down, chill out a little bit, you know? That, that's really the, the picture of what Paul's trying to get across. He's, he's saying, and Peter's saying it, and Jesus says it, and we have it throughout the whole Bible, but particularly here, we have in the New Testament this, this call to our lives to just change the channel, when worry and stress and anxiety, when they come up on us, we just, we just change the channel. Now, does that mean that everything gets better? You know, that we, we just change the channel in our mind and all of a sudden we're just on a cloud playing a harp and everything's fantastic. No, it's not. It doesn't mean that, that all the things are going to go away, but it does mean this, that we do not have to be controlled by our worry and our anxiety. Yes, we're going to worry, but we don't have to keep worrying and we don't have to be paralyzed by that anxiety. We don't have to be paralyzed in that worry. And my guess is most of us understand exactly what that means because we've been paralyzed in our worry. We've been paralyzed in our anxiety. We don't have to stay paralyzed because this is what Jesus is saying to you right now. And this is what Jesus is saying to me right now. In fact, there's never been a moment that Jesus is not saying this. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus and have rest. Come to Jesus and have peace. Come to Jesus and have hope. Come to Jesus and live. That's the, the promise that Jesus gives. But the question remains, why? Why would we come to Jesus? Why should we take our request to God? Peter already told us, right? Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He cares for you. Look, I, I know you care about your family. I mean, generally speaking. I know there's probably a minute this week you didn't care about him much, all right? We all have those moments. But I know you care about your family. You care about your, your parents, your spouse, your kids, your, your grandparents, your grandkids, aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, whoever it is, you care about them. But my guess is you're all a little bit like me, too. You don't perfectly care for them, right? You have some moments every now and then where you're selfish, where you're bitter, where you're angry, where you're rude, where you're apathetic, and you don't care for them very well. You know what? That moment never happens with God. It is impossible for him to stop caring. God doesn't have to go over in the corner and count to 10 and calm down. God doesn't have to weigh the pros and cons of any situation. God doesn't have to think about everybody that's involved. He always knows what's best. He always does what's best. That is who he is. And he never for a moment stops depositing love and care and grace and mercy right on time in just the right way. It's who he 
is. We might be able to care some of the time or maybe even most of the time, but we will not be able to care all the time. God can. And that's why we cast our worries and our anxieties on him. But do we really do that? (laughs) Or maybe put another way, why don't we do that? I mean, if we're really honest with ourselves, why is it that we don't cast more on the Lord? Why is it that we, we take our worry and our anxiety and we, we hang on to it and we, and we push it down a little bit instead of casting it and throwing it to him? Well, I think at least one of the reasons is because we kind of look at God like Santa Claus. We like him. We respect him. But for the most part, he's just kind of there to, to do something for us. And so if something's not being done for us, well, we, we might just kind of turn the other way. We might just look the other way. And when those things don't get done for us, when we, when we take a request to God, when we finally get around to taking a request to God, and something doesn't happen, well, we, we get a little put out with him. Come on, God, why, why aren't you? I'm, I'm, I'm asking. You told me to let my request known to you, but, but nothing's happening. Let me tell you what's really happening in that moment. What's really happening is this. We're basically getting out of our, our comfort Our schedule of life gets thrown off. Our way of life gets thrown off. And we are absolutely convinced that our comfort and our schedule of life and our way of life are unalienable rights. And when those rights are taken away from us, we expect God to restore those rights immediately. And if he does not restore them immediately, then we'll back away. We'll say, well, why am I going to talk to that guy? He's, he's not worthy of my prayers. He's not worth my time because my rights have been taken away and I want them back and he's not doing it. We might keep coming to church. I mean, we might keep coming to Sunday school and small group. We, we may not say out loud that we're not trusting God, but in our practical lives, we kind of look like atheists <laughs> because we don't turn to God. We don't pray to God. We don't take our worries and our anxieties to him. We do the opposite of what Peter and Paul and Jesus have called us to do. And why do we do that? Well, I think more often than not, it's because we just don't trust God. We don't. We don't trust him. And part of the reason we don't trust him is is we don't know him. Charles Spurgeon said this, These powerful pictures responding to us knowing the one true God. Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and to make stars. They will allow him to be in his almondry to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof or light the lamps of heaven or rule the waves of the ever-moving ocean. But when God ascends his throne, his creatures gnash their teeth. And when we proclaim an enthroned God and his right to do as he wills with his own, to dispose of his creatures as he thinks well without consulting them in the matter, then it is that we are hissed and execrated or despised. And then it is that men turn a deaf ear to us, for God on his throne is not the God they love. They love him anywhere better 
than they do when he sits with his scepter in his hand and his crown upon his head. But it is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon his throne whom we trust. See, if we're honest, we want a Hallmark card God, not a holy, holy, holy God. Because a holy, holy, holy God is more powerful and more authoritative than your schedule and your way of life and your comfort. That God is is bigger and grander and stronger than all that we can think of or imagine. And that's the God that, that we're supposed to trust. And so if you're singing on Sunday morning to a God that you're just looking to make you comfortable, then you are missing the character of the one true God. And you do not really know the one true God. Therefore, you have no reason to trust that one true God. And you will never really let your requests be made known to him because you don't trust him. Because you don't know him. Because you're not loving and devoting your life to him. Don't ever underestimate that part of the reason that Dow Welsh struggles with worry and anxiety. And part of the reason that you struggle with worry and anxiety is because we just will not trust God. We just won't trust him. But if we'll catch a glimpse of the God that Spurgeon's describing, the the God who's on his throne, we will learn what it means to trust him more. And remember when when Paul or Peter are are saying these things about trusting God and and casting anxiety and worry on God and and turning to God in our time of need, Paul is not writing trying to get you to buy his new 12-step book on worry and anxiety. Paul is actually just repeating Jesus. This is what Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, 31 and 34. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day, each day has enough trouble of its own. The language that Paul is using, the language that Jesus is using is the, is the same kind of language. It's a language that says stop worrying. Because here's the thing, we're going to worry, okay? We're going to be anxious. We're going to have anxiety. But Jesus is saying, hey, just, just stop it. You know, it's okay. You, you can stop worrying and you can start praying. You don't have to be paralyzed by the anxiety. Paul Grimmin is a minister in Australia, he says this, what is anxiety? It is God's good gift for a fallen world. It is a reminder that I live in a broken place where things are dangerous. Anxiety often protects us from things that we need to be protected from. If you're in in a big city that you've never been into and it's like midnight and you find yourself in a really dark alley, a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of worry is going to get you out of that alley, right? You know, you're going to move unless you're like, you know, a teenager in a horror movie and you're going to sit down and go, hey, I wonder what's going to happen in this dark alley. This is a dangerous world we live in. And so there are times that, that our anxiety and our worry are going to be more like concern. They're just going to be these, these moments, these, these milliseconds or few seconds of, of anxious worry that causes us to move into action. But that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what Jesus is referring to. Paul Grimman goes on. 
But like all things, it is sometimes an expression of our sinfulness. We can lose perspective and become anxious about things that draw us away from God. But that's the worry they're talking about. Don't don't worry to the point that you lose perspective and you take your eyes off of God. You take your attention off of God. You take your focus off of God. See, when Jesus says, do not worry, he says, look, I I need you to stop doing that, and I need you to start praying. And when Paul says, do not be anxious, what he's saying is, I need you to to stop doing that. I need you to to start praying. You can stop worrying, and you can start praying. You can stop worrying. You can start letting your requests be made known to God. You, You can do that. But it's not always easy to do that, is it? Sometimes when we're weak and we're worried and we're anxious, it's hard to pray. It's hard to even voice a prayer. But Paul is saying that if you're looking for an alternative to worrying and be anxious, praying's a good thing. But if we struggle to pray, that means we're going to need something in our prayer tank, right? We're going to need some kind of fuel, some kind of gasoline to move us along. In other words, how is it that we're supposed to let our requests be made known to God. Paul tells us, listen again to verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our fuel is thanksgiving. Our our fuel is is being thankful. Now, when Paul says thanksgiving here, he, he ain't talking about the holiday, all right? This isn't like Paul saying, hey, you know what? If you want to not worry, just go get you some turkey and some sweet potato casserole and you're solid. All right, that's that's not what he means. Although I will say this, there are many times a little turkey and a little sweet potato casserole goes a long way to help all kind of things, especially when that turkey is wrapped in a little bacon. I mean, that that will solve some worry and anxiety in a heartbeat. But that's not what Paul's getting at here. He's not talking about a holiday. He's he's talking about an attitude. He's talking about a habit. He's talking about a practice in your life. Think about what you do in the morning. Just think about some of your routines first thing in the morning. Some of you, you can't function until you brush your teeth, right? Some of you, you, you can't think until you take a shower. Some of you can't breathe until you take a sip of coffee, all right? You, you know it. You know, we, we know some of these routines that we have. But here's the thing, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, the biggest habit in our life should be to be thankful. We should be a thankful people. It it should be what causes us to function and think and breathe, being thankful. But why should you be thankful? Here's why you should be thankful. God cares for you. God cares for you. How do I know that? This is how I know that. John 3, 16. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave up his only begotten unique son. Again, this is Jesus telling us this. So that whoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have eternal, everlasting Jesus gave his life so that you could escape the penalty of sin and so that you could be alive after you die. That's how I know God cares 
for you because of what he has done through Jesus. And when did Jesus do this? Romans chapter 5, verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea from AD 26 to AD 36, and during his time, he was responsible for the transitions that led to Jesus being crucified on a cross outside of Jerusalem. Christians do not believe in a fairy tale. We have a a real Savior who was really crucified, and there's a real date on the calendar that we can mark that Jesus died for us. And for that matter, there's also a real date on the calendar where Jesus came back from the dead. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. But the win, the real win of when Jesus died is is pretty amazing. Jesus died for your sin before you were born. But before you were born, Jesus died to provide a way for you to escape the penalty of sin and escape eternal, everlasting death. Before you had your first worry, your first anxiety, your first anxious moment, your first day of stress, Jesus died to rescue from that worry, that anxiety, and that stress. Before you were ever able to let a request be made known to God, Jesus died for you. When you were weak, when you were helpless, when you were dead in your sin, Jesus died for you. That's how I know God cares for you. This may sound a bit strange, maybe even, even a little heretical, but, but you know, even someone who's not a Christian someone who doesn't believe in the gospel or or believe in Jesus, even if they think all this stuff about Jesus is is a fairy tale, that person can even be thankful for their gospel fairy tale. (laughs) Because even a fairy tale provides a, a little bit of a positive vibe every now and then. But this is no fairy tale. So if you're a believer, if you've repented and received the salvation that only comes from Jesus, you can be thankful, 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 thankful. We often sing it like this. The power of sin, it's it's lost its grip on me. And there's no power of hell and there's no scheme of man that can ever pluck me from God's hand. Friend, you can be thankful because you're saved, you're safe, and you're free. And nothing can change that. That's why Peter and Paul and Jesus say, you know what? You don't have to worry. In fact, take your worry, take your anxiety, and just throw them to the Lord because he cares for you. Throw them to the Lord because he has made a way to rescue. Throw them to the Lord because he has made a way for you to be saved and safe and free forever. So you actually can stop worrying and and start praying for no other reason than Jesus was crucified and Jesus was resurrected.
See, that this, this one story in the history of the world, this one truth from heaven is enough to help you stop worrying and start praying. Just, just this one. But here's what's amazing about the kindness of God. God gives us more than, than just Jesus to be thankful for. It's, it's amazing. So let's, let's, just, let's just play it out right now. What do you have right now to be thankful for? I mean, right now, what do you have to be thankful for? All right? Let's, we'll just start in this room. You got a roof over your head. The lights are on. Air conditioner's working. Far as I know, right? <laughs> hey, you know what? Sermon's almost over. Come on now, you know? There's something to be thankful for. We have things to be thankful for right now. But, but let's just look back over the week. Did you get to drink clean water this week? Did you get to use a phone this week? Was there any kind of, of medicine that, that helped your, your family this week? Did you, did you get to listen to any kind of music that you liked this week? Did you hear a child laugh this week? Did you see the moon, the stars? Did you see a sunrise or a sunset? Did you eat a meal this week? Did a strange person do something nice for you this week, somebody you don't even know? Have you been protected by our military this week? By the way, the answer to that question is you have, even if you don't know it. We've got things to be thankful for. I mean, we're just scratching the surface, right? Adrian Rogers said this, did you know that there's no higher expression of faith than thanksgiving, and that worry is the highest expression of unbelief. Unbelief meaning I don't trust God. I, I'm not going to put my hope and my peace and my confidence in God. I'm, I'm not going to believe that God cares for me and that he's sent his son for me. I'm, I'm going to believe in my worry. I think it was Nancy Wolgamuth that said, we're either worrying or we're worshiping. We can't do both at the same time. So, so part of what Paul is calling us to is this amazing alternative. You can worship instead of worry. You can pray instead of being anxious. You can be thankful instead of being stressed. In fact, we could say it this way. The most Christian thing that a Christian can do is be thankful. The most Christian thing that a Christian can do is to be thankful. Being thankful is an amazing alternative to being worried or anxious or stressed. Look, I, I put this to the test last night. Man, I'm sitting in Tokyo Grill at 9.15 trying to get all my stuff done. I was a little anxious. <laughs> I was a little stressed. And you know what I did? I was like, all right, God, right now, I just need you to change my gear. So what do I have to be thankful for? And the first thing that popped into my mind is something that would be good for all of us to do every now and then, and that's read a card from a kid. It's a good thing. It'll help you be thankful. Wednesday night after church, I got a little stack of, of pastor appreciation cards from some of our fantastic kids here in the church. Uh, they, they were great. Uh, one of them was, was very encouraging. Uh, it reminded me that it would probably be a good idea not to put bacon inside the pulpit because that would distract me when I'm preaching. Yeah. Pastor appreciation card right there looking out for me. Yeah. Another one said this. 
You help us to learn about God. You are T-O-D-U-L-E, totally, O-S-U-M, awesome. (laughs) It's great. And then one said this, I really like that you use a lot of Bible verses. It is important to quote a lot of Scripture. Right on, right? That's a good word. And, And they're right. They're right because you know what? We need a lot of Scripture. We need a lot of Bible because the Bible is the place that helps us to see that the one who is truly awesome, the one who is universally awesome, the one who is undeniably awesome, the one who is ultimately awesome, the one who is eternally awesome is the one who cares for you. He's the one that sent his son for you. He's the one that says, throw it to me because I care for you. That's the one we can trust. Will our worry and our anxiety sometimes mean that we need to go to counseling? Sure. Will our worry and anxiety in life sometimes mean that we need to have some medicine? Sure. But even so, we will still need to go to the one who is totally awesome. The one who rescues and redeems and saves and cares for you. Catherine Butler is a former trauma surgeon, critical care surgeon. She said this, we're right to accept medical advances for what they are, blessings from God. <coughs> oh, sorry, I'm about to call here. Mute button. Thanks, Robbie. We're right to accept medical advances for what they are, blessings from God, gifts to help us heal and prosper. While we seek treatment, however, we must still turn our eyes toward God. The need for a heavenward gaze does not limit itself to depression, but to any ailment of mind, body, or soul. As Christians, we cleave to a hope that far exceeds any protocol or prescription. When we kneel before our Lord in humility and supplication and with palms open lift our burdens to him, he draws us near, even as we struggle through the avenues of medications and counseling. In the coming age, our Savior will chase away the specters that loom over creation. In the meantime, we take comfort that he too has walked in darkness. And listen to what she says about Jesus. He too has endured deep suffering, not from brain circuitry gone awry, but willingly, for our sake, out of abundant love for us. But that's, that's how Jesus has cared for you. And then she says this, and to that truth we cling, even when the shadows descend, even as we labor through medications and therapy and breathlessly scramble for the light. Some of us know that. We know that scramble. We know that that scrambling for the light. But, but here's the thing. Friend, you can be thankful while you scramble. And here's why. There is light. Because Jesus was crucified, because Jesus was resurrected, he has guaranteed that in all of our darkness there is light. There is light. Friend, there is 
light. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus.